Hi, I'm Jayan Sriram and welcome to In Focus, the Hindu's analysis podcast. Thanks for joining us. We're talking today about the US-Iran situation, which has of course dominated the news over the past few days. The US assassination of Iran's top general, Qasem Soleimani, pushed both countries to the brink of an all-out war. Iran then launched a retaliatory strike on an Iraqi airbase where US troops were stationed. And since then, actually, things seem to have de-escalated somewhat. And there hasn't been another more severe response by the US. So that's where things stand for now. But tensions still remain very high. Despite what international media reports, If you were to catch snippets of some US news stations, for example, you'll hear a lot of conservative commentators still urging the US military to retaliate with force and hit several targets in Iran. I think that's interesting because in certain sections of the US foreign policy and defense establishments, especially the more hawkish conservative circles, a war with Iran has been a long-standing obsession, dating back some 40 years. So despite US President Donald Trump himself saying that all is well, and we have to remember here that one of his key campaign promises was to get the US out of the various wars it was engaged in in the Middle East, not start new ones, there is always the danger that he will feel the push from these more hawkish establishment forces, for whom Iran has always been enemy number one. So what explains this long obsession with Iran? As things continue to develop in the region, I thought it would be interesting to explore this angle. And I'm going to be joined today by the Hindu's foreign affairs editor, Stanley Johnny. We're in fact going to talk about this over two episodes. Stanley is an expert on strategic affairs, particularly in the Middle East. And after first discussing US foreign policy toward Iran over the years, I'll also talk to him about Iran's strategic place in the region who its allies are, who are its foes, and what are the various proxy organizations it can operate through. I think that's crucial because if things do escalate in the future, the theatre of war, if you will, could stretch far beyond Iran's boundaries. We'll get to that soon, but for now, here's Stanley Johnny for part one. Stanley Johnny, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Jayanth. So much of last week's analysis, I think in print and elsewhere, went into discussing who Soleimani was and why the US wanted to take him out. But I want to actually foreground this in a larger discussion about US foreign policy toward Iran. I just read an interesting piece that says that this animosity toward Iran actually goes back some 40 years and is an obsession in some circles of the US foreign policy and defense establishments. In fact, uh, if one were to look back over this period um, for all the noise about Russia and North Korea and actual wars being fought in Iraq and Afghanistan, Iran may actually be the foreign actor that has occupied the most prominent or almost outsized space in um, US foreign policy thinking. So what explains this 40-year obsession with Iran from the US? 
yeah um, see to understand today's crisis uh, i would suggest that we have to go back to 1979 so 1979 um, the west asian region so you know it was a watershed year because in iran um, the revolution um, brought down the regime of shah right. it, it's a thousands you know uh, thousands of years long monarchy was brought down by the revolutionaries and the mullahs came to power in iran uh so practically you know before the iranian revolution iran was one of the american allies basically actually iran was uh, one of the two pillars of the united states in the region and the other being israel uh so it was that close shah's regime and the americans lost iran in overnight that's one thing and secondly in 1979 the revolutionaries um you know uh, took over the iranian embassy the, the american embassy in tehran uh and uh, actually the siege of the embassy went on for a year one full year and the americans couldn't do anything president carter dispatched his commanders to re- rescue the uh, uh, american diplomats but the mission failed um so this i think remained you know an unhealed wound in america's foreign policy psyche that's one thing that iran humiliated us we lost iran in the first place iran humiliated us and we have to take revenge for that that is one thing and secondly if you you know you look at the last say um, 30 40 years of iranian foreign policy iran compared to other countries in the region in the region say saudi arabia or israel uh, israel is a military superpower uh, which has complete backing of the united states saudi arabia spends billions and billions of dollars every year on defense so compared to that iran is you know its its resources are uh not that great compared to saudi arabia its military capability is not you know as powerful as uh, uh israel's but I- iran i think was aware of its limitations in conventional military might so what it tried to do to overcome this deficit was to embrace an asymmetric strategy mm. iran started supporting proxies throughout the region in 1980s the iranian revolutionary guards helped to set up hezbollah hezbollah is now arguably the most powerful military and political organization in lebanon mm. you know and uh, uh, in uh, right, you know now iran has proxies uh, in several countries in the region it has shia militias in iraq it has this al houthi militia group in yemen right under the news of saudi arabia so uh, it's it's iranian influence is now kind of spread across the region you can argue that and secondly you know uh, another major development was the 2003 american invasion of iraq iraq was ruled by saddam hussein mm. and saddam hussein you know was a regional rival of the iranians so the americans removed saddam hussein and the elections led to the rise of shias in iraq and the shias had enjoyed historical political and cultural ties with the iranians so it was practically handing over iran to uh, handing over iraq to the iranians and enhancing the iranian influence in the region so the iraq war in that sense was a, a a great strategic miscalculation for the united states and its allies ironically it is the americans who went into iraq handing over handing over iran iraq to the iranians so uh, the united states again the hawks in the us they think that okay in 1979 they humiliated us and after 2003 the iranians played a major part in the resistance against the occupation yeah and the government that came to power in baghdad has very close political and historical ties with the iranians so iran is the problem iran is the problem 
uh, for our failure in Iraq. We lost Iraq war because of the Iranians. So, you know, uh, so they think that Iran is a problem. In a sense, Iran has its militias. Iran poses threat to our allies, say Saudi Arabia or Israel. And Iran, uh, you know, played a major part uh, uh, in, in uh, defeating us in, in Iraq. So you have to take revenge for that. I think this is a common, you know, uh, foreign policy argument. They may not say it in as many words, but I think this could be the reason for the Iran obsession in the uh, DC foreign policy making. So, um, President George W. Bush in 2002 uh, put Iran, you know, as one of these, one of his axis of evil countries, Iran, Iraq and North Korea. And then immediately after that, he went to Iraq, Iraq invasion. So there were warnings from DC that Iran could be next, you know. So this war talk in Washington, it's been going on for a while. But George Bush couldn't go ahead because uh, American troops got bogged down in Iraq, mm. you know, after the invasion. And then uh, in 2008, there was a, uh, the economic uh, crisis was there. Uh, the Great Recession was there. Am American economy went into recession. Global economic meltdown was there. So, you know, the war, you know, the war hawks, they, they took a step back. And now with the assassination of Qasem Soleimani or, uh, you know, ever since the Trump uh, administration was formed uh, in 2016. So it's again this, you know, uh, this hawkish uh, talk is back because Trump's former national security advisor John Bolton is an open uh, supporter of the Iranian, uh, you know, uh, groups, Iranian militant groups who, who want the regime to be overthrown. And mm -hmm. Bolton calls for regime change openly. And Pompeo himself uh, is a harsh critic of the regime, you know, not about its policies, but they want to see regime change in Iran. So that's where the policy, uh, you know, is heading. Okay. So that actually provides an interesting segue because I wanted to ask you about this term regime change. Yeah. And because I think it ties into, there's a long history of US involvement in the Middle East. Yeah. And it I suppose it ties into a larger strategy that successive governments have had. Um, but this idea of regime change keeps cropping up. It's what they try to do in Iraq. It's what many people, John Bolton being the perfect example, have always talked about in Iran. What is this idea of regime change and does it tie into this notion that the US has always seen it itself as being kind of the, the force that would bring democracy to the Middle East? Does that tie into a larger strategy in that sense? Um, I th that that's a neoconservative approach. The yeah. neoconservatives were very, very powerful when George Bush was uh, in the White House. Mm. Uh, so Bush said that you know one of the problems uh, for terrorism in in the Middle East was democracy deficit, mm. and that was his theoretical approach. So what do you do? You have to export democracy to these countries. Yeah. So he forced certain countries to hold elections, like Egypt at that time. Mm. And he went to the hostile countries, like say uh, Afghanistan, one thing, okay, the trigger was 9 11 uh, attack, and then to Iraq. Iraq, Saddam Hussein was a despot. The Americans went into Iraq, got rid of his regime, and they thought that, you know, uh, they would be welcomed as liberators and then democracy will flourish in Iraq. Mm. But Iraq actually went into chaos, into civil war, into a sectarian civil war, and Iraq saw massive bloodshed and the after effects of the war Iraq was still suffering from including the rise of the Islamic State. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, this theory, the neoconservative approach was that you have to bring in democracy to these countries and to bring in democracy forcefully, uh, you have to go to war. So, mm. that was the approach. Uh, 
uh, i think trump is not driven by any of that ideological uh, motives mm. uh, it's not i mean he is threatening iran not because uh, he wants to export democracy to iran i don't think he doesn't have that kind of an ideological clarity mm. or he is not talking about that rather trump's problem was that you know um, primarily it began with trump's decision to pull the united states out of the iran nuclear deal in 2018 yeah unilaterally uh, at the time of trump's withdrawal from the iran nuclear deal iran was 100% compliant with the terms of the agreement yeah and the united nations and all the other signatories to the agreement had certified that iran is complying with the terms of the agreement but president trump still pulled the united states out of it mm uh so i think uh, maybe he wanted to undo the obama legacy because the iran nuclear deal was president obama's he was yeah. undoing most of the foreign policy decisions president obama had taken or the hawks in the administration may have convinced him that this deal is a bad deal because the israelis and the saudis were also campaigning against the deal but the problem is that trump once trump pulled the united states out of the deal i think my sense is that the american calculation was that the iranians once negotiated with you when they were under pressure when obama put sanctions on them when the world was ready to negotiate with them they negotiated with you mm. and they were ready to sign an agreement so if we if we do that again if we okay if we put more sanctions on iran if we squeeze their economy they would be ready to negotiate again mm. so that we can negotiate a much harder deal which would address not only iran's nuclear program but also its regional activities Mm. so that was the calculation i think that was the strategic calculation yeah the iranians knew that and they didn't want to you know uh, play it into the us hands so what they did instead of going down to sanctions or pressure they resisted so it's kind of you know it's a trump called it maximum pressure strategy and the iranian response was maximum resistance mm. so instead of giving into american pressure the iranians started attacking they waited for a year for the other signatories to save the deal for the europeans and the russians and the chinese they did nothing uh, so in 20 uh, 18 may the americans were out of the deal till 2019 may the iranians waited and since it was not happening iran started violating the terms of the agreement one by one mm. okay and then they also started attacking either directly or through their proxies attacking uh, oil vessels in the persian gulf and also two of the saudi oil installations came under attack last year so it was i i think it was kind of a message coming from iran that okay us strategy is not working you mm. can't you can't force us into you know uh, uh, submission always so if you are going for a conflict escalation or whatever if you are going to put more sanctions on us this is how we are going to respond so they they clearly they are giving a message of escalation so trump i think the trump administration initially was not ready for this they 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 thought that iran would actually come to the tables mm. and when it didn't happen the only option trump was you know trump was left with was to uh, escalate it further otherwise you would you know you would look weak in the wake of the iranian aggressions iran is targeting your allies uh, oil installations Iran is uh, uh, attacking oil vessels in the Persian Gulf region so you are the superpower of the world so you will look weak and also the pro Iran militias in Iraq uh, uh, are repeatedly targeting american soldiers in Iraq and even america had to in in basra i think 
America has had to shut down its consulate because of threats from the Iranian militia, Iraqi militias, pro-Iran Iraqi militias. So, uh, in the event of all these incidents, that Trump finally decides to go for Qasem Soleimani, which itself I would say it was a reckless move because Qasem Soleimani is not just an outlawed militia head like you know somebody else. He is a, a man in uniform. He is mm. one of the top generals of the Iranian regime and who was carrying a diplomatic passport, who was going to meet the Iraqi Prime Minister. So, killing him in Iraq is absolutely, you know, uh, uh, it's, a, it, 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 it's, it's an act of war, if not provocation, if, if, not, if, not, if not outright provocation. So, Trump decided to go for this extreme step, which, you know, has taken crisis to today's uh, level. Okay. So, just tracking back a few steps there. Um, there are a few points that often crop up when we talk about the US's foreign policy toward Iran. A few worries, let's say, that have always been harboured about yeah. Iran. And so, I would love to get your thoughts on this because you know a lot more about the Middle East and strategic affairs there. So, one strain of this worry has been about oil supply in the world and Iran having a central place to play geographically in that. Yeah. So, just talk us through that. What's the worry there? Yeah, uh, the point is that, uh, you know, Strait of Hormuz is, it's a narrow waterway. Yeah. Connecting the, the Gulf. Right. Connecting the Gulf to the uh, Arabian Sea through the Gulf of Oman. So, most of the oil produced by the Gulf countries, say Saudi Arabia, oil and gas, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, uh, all these countries. And that, you know, uh, that oil goes through the sea, it has to cross the Strait of Hormuz. Right. Uh, so, and Iran, it is Strait of Hormuz is right under the nose of Iran. Right. right. So, the threat is that, the threat, which the threat perception is that in the event of a conflict, Iran can shut Strait of Hormuz. Okay. So, which will impact global oil supply, mm. will lead to a major rise in oil prices as well. Secondly, Iran can, you know, uh, the attacks on the Saudi oil facilities last year, which Iran has denied responsibility, but the Americans say Iran was behind it. The Houthis, which are pro-Iran militias operating in Yemen, have claimed responsibility. So, it's either directed by the Iranians or carried out by the Iranians. Iran's hand is, I think, is, uh, I mean, it, it's, it's a legit argument that Iran could have been behind this. So, that was another message from the Iranians that we, I mean, the only thing we can do is not shutting down Strait of Hormuz. We can also attack Saudi oil facilities. Mm. See, the attack on Saudi oil installations cut Saudi Arabia's oil output by half. Right. And led to a spike in prices. So, imagine if the Iranians doing something like that, shutting down uh, Strait of Hormuz and then attacking oil facilities in Saudi Arabia. In the event, I'm talking about extreme possibilities mm. in the event of a total war. That would be catastrophic for the global oil uh, industry, global energy industry. Catastrophic. Something which we haven't seen in the past. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, you know, but um, Iran, that will also be suicidal for Iran because that is Iran's atom bomb. You know, that is Iran's greatest deterrence power. Right. So, what we saw last year, the attack on Saudi Arabia was a warning shot. That, that's what I would say. Mm. It was only, I mean, Iran intended to show the world that we possess the capability to hit the Saudis. Right even in a peaceful environment. So, mm. in the event of a war, the hit would have been much stronger. Right. You know, with, with more fire, 
firepower mm. so that was a message and the message was delivered to the saudis mm. because the saudis since then had torn down their rhetoric right so even now there were reports that uh, uh, the saudi regime has sent some uh, diplomats to washington saying that please spare us from this conflict mm. because the saudis do not want to get dragged into the war right. with the iranians uh, so it's true that uh, if there is a conflict uh, and the conflict spir- spirals out of uh, hands iran might target the critical oil facilities in the region which would be catastrophic for the global economy and energy industry okay and um, also to take you back to a previous point about the iran nuclear deal yeah um, which of course depending on your political affiliation in in the us it seems that you either th- i mean they either think that it's a it's a, it's a good thing or a terrible thing yeah but just going back a little bit uh, going a little bit back um was there a longer narrative about the possibility of iran developing a nuclear weapon and did that somehow was that somehow a fear yeah. that kind of manifested itself in previous decades in foreign policy in the us yeah uh see uh, iran has always denied that uh, it was making a bomb mm. iran's argument was that it was only developing its nuclear program is only about nuclear energy mm. uh, but it's a fact that iran hid its nuclear program from the international oversight for a long time unless uh, until it was you know found out by uh, others mm. so uh, why iran was hiding it is a question mm. and also iran was uh, enriching uranium uh, to a higher level than what is actually needed for energy production right at what time so there were uh, of course there were questions about iran's intentions mm. though iran had denied it several times and ayatollah ali khamenei the supreme leader has said that it is a uh, it is nuclear he had also issued a fatwa against nuclear weapons mm. uh, which, which is a religious edict which is a uh, 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 sacred thing for the iranians that the mm. supreme leader is saying that no nuclear bomb uh, which means uh, i mean there is there is not going to be a nuclear bomb but my point is that then why iran was enriching uranium to a higher levels why iran was having more centrifuges than what is actually needed for uh, uh, for nuclear energy if it is just the matter of nuclear energy why did you hit why did you hide your program from international oversight so these questions were there uh, so uh, my understanding is that iran wanted to reach the point of developing a nuclear weapon but it would have stopped short of developing a nuclear weapon right you know that you know that is the you know that is a deterrence uh, strategy that iran would like to send the world that okay we are close to it mm-hmm. but we are not doing it right okay uh, so you think twice about uh, dealing with us so we can actually develop a nuclear bomb we are just months away from developing a nuclear bomb so what iran did iran was not going not you know walking that extra mile to develop a bomb so but it was developing the capability of making a bomb so that is what iran was doing while at the same time building ballistic missile program so which means in the event of getting a bomb you will have your missile your long range missiles to target your uh, enemies so this was a uh, this was the calculation this was the strategic uh, i think approach of the iranian regime uh, but the sanctions had really hurt them hmm uh you know uh, the previous uh, obama administration sanctions and there were uh, deep worries within the iranian uh, society and people were rising up against the regime in 
2009 there were street protest street protests which the government had to put down brutally yeah uh, and it is also a revolutionary government which you know claims le- the legacy of the revolution iranian revolution and the iranian revolution according to uh, khomeini the leader of the revolution is that it is uh, you know it is the revolution of the oppressed against the oppressor so that narrative is very powerful in iran so if the regime itself is now becoming an oppressive regime uh, uh, you know in times of economic miseries people would use even that revolution's narrative against your own government so they they risks losing that so at that time i think and also uh, hasan rohani became the president so rohani himself is a moderate so there were at least channels of engagement between the obama administration and rohani and oman played a critical part in it even vatican played a critical part in bringing all these sides together and the iranians and the russians the chinese the europeans the americans everybody came together they negotiated for months if not years and then you know it was painstaking diplomacy and at the end of this process they came up with nuclear deal which actually put iran away from the possibility of making a deal for at least 10 years mm. at that time it was the best deal so which means practically cutting iran off the possibility of making a bomb in return for economic incentives but trump single handedly destroyed the whole process and now we are here there's a third factor when it comes to us fears about iran and it's perhaps the most important it's the idea that iran operating through a number of proxies in the region is actually the biggest state sponsor of terrorism in the world to what extent is that claim correct and how does it help us understand Iran's place in the world the preeminent Shia Muslim power surrounded by foes on all sides we'll take that up in the next episode thanks for joining us